Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. Y'all look kind of perky this morning. I know you appreciate this Sunday whenever you get an extra hour of sleep, or as we pastors like to say, when we get an extra hour to preach. I heard some of you gasp when I said that. It just hurts me. It hurts me. No, uh, it is a beautiful day in the Carolinas, and it's good to see you. You know, one of my areas of responsibility is to oversee missions, and um, Pastor Ben, by uh, this weekend, is in Florida. Uh, often I go to um, a thing with uh, what is called the Timothy Initiative, which uh, is a group with whom we partner uh, doing projects around the world. And um, because I've been multiple times, I really felt like Pastor Ben needed to go and see so that we can kind of stay connected on a leadership level on, on what things are happening. So he, he's down there at their annual meeting, and he called me several times, and he's just like so excited about what he's learning, what he's seeing, and we've got some ideas on some projects we're going to present to you at our next Missions Emphasis Month, and we're going to talk to our team about it. But I, I just want to remind you that, you know, the work of Life Fellowship continues around the world 24 hours a day. Uh, a couple of months ago, I think it was the month of <coughs> September, we were giving toward Morocco, uh, who had that horrible, horrible uh, earthquake uh, back in, I believe it was August. And I want you to see a couple of pictures of just some things. These pictures were actually taken by the Hensons, who were, mi- who were missionaries um, and who attend this church or are here regularly. And uh, they, they went to Morocco. They visited the, one of the villages that was hit was where they actually ministered. So on behalf of Life Fellowship, we sent them over $10,000. And we, uh, we gave them the money and we said, you find places to help it, uh, help. And so they, they bought huts, they bought food, they bought, they bought uh, clothing, uh, they, they, they took things up in the mountains, they sent other things up in the mountains. Uh, but I kind of wanted you to see, you know, just a, a little bit of what they've been de- dealing with and, and some of the horrific things because, you know, our world's in such crisis that crisis follows crisis follows crisis. And, and because of that, we can almost forget that there are people who are suffering in real time and and so forth. Um, Another project that we worked on not long ago was in Zimbabwe. And in Zimbabwe, uh, I just got an email last night. They they were... um, had just done some Saturday graduations for the discipleship ministries. And I've been over there twice in the last year and working with starting discipleship teams. But you all provided the books, you provide the transportation, you provide a lot of the resources that allow these discipleship groups to go. In just one location, one area, they all came together yesterday, 167 Zimbabweans, adults, graduated in a little service that they had and they had completed not one, but two complete years of one on, or, or group discipleship where they're now ready to go out and disciple others. So for two years, we've been working with this team. I've been over there twice in the last year. I've met some of them and seen them. And 167 of them graduated in just this one area. And it's because you all give. It's because you take part in above and beyond. And so I just want to encourage you. I know this month we're doing our monthly emphasis is on... Um, uh, um, Operation Christmas Child. Many of you are doing boxes, and that's so much fun. Every year, I volunteer once or twice. I go down there and pack boxes just because it's good, fun, mindless activity, and I just like doing it. And as I'm doing the little boxes and preparing them to be shipped out, I pray over them and and so forth. And often, I'm checking to see what's in them, and I'll see these boxes from people, and they'll write letters and talk about that. But what you may not know is these boxes are sent to missionaries who are on the field. They have big services. They bring people in. They preach the gospel. They get contacts and so forth, and they hand out the boxes at the 
end, and then they follow up on them in the months to come. That's why it's so effective. So every time we do something like this, we want you to know it's always with the gospel in mind, and it's always in places that are hard to reach. That's another part of our emphasis. We want to send to, to areas that, that most of us can't go to, and if we go, we're not comfortable when we go. And that's an important thing, because around the world, Christians are being persecuted for their faith. They're in countries where they're suffering, not only because of the economy, but because of the fact that they serve, they serve Christ. We're looking at a project in Togo that we maybe want to be interested to get into, and Pastor Ben's getting the information, and we talked about it this week, where the northern part of Africa is very rapidly moving Muslim. And we have to be concerned about that because not only does it prevent us from being able to preach, but they also take the Christians that are there and just simply murder them. I mean, go into a village with machetes and murder them. But that's happening all over the place. I just got a report from a friend of mine in Myanmar, and they have the same thing among the Chin tribe there that I visited, that, that the Wilsons have been to so many, many times. And they just go into a village, and they burn their houses down, and they chase them in the village, and then they shoot them. And it doesn't make the news. You don't hear about it. In India right now, I had a friend who just got back from India. In India, the Christians are having to go undercover, particularly in northern India and in eastern, northern eastern India, where the, the Muslims are taking over. But the Hindus in that country hate Muslims and hate Christianity, and in these areas they're going in, and they'll literally cut the internet around the entire city, go in and murder anybody who's not Hindu, and then they leave the internet off for a month so that the news can't get out. By that time, things die down, and then they go to the next city. This is happening in real time, real time. And all over the country, we, all over the world, we need to be praying for those who are followers of Christ and being persecuted. So today, November 6th, is Pray for the Persecuted Church Sunday. And I want to take just a moment, if I could, and I want to lead in prayer, but I want to urge you right in your seat, would you offer a prayer right now for the church around the world that's suffering? And as, as, uh, as, as we meet together in peace and in comfort today, there are many today who are meeting at risk of their lives, and we want to remember them. So let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of being born where we were. And yet, Father, with that privilege comes responsibility. And one of those responsibilities is to never forget those who suffer because of your name's sake. You told us it would happen, and it does. And just because it hasn't happened to us or isn't happening to us right now, Father, there are millions that you love every bit as much as you love us who today worship with fear and with risk and in terror at times. They continue to faithfully follow you. So, Father, we ask your blessing upon the persecuted church all around the world. In Cuba and Vietnam and Myanmar and in <coughs> excuse me, and in, in, in Togo and in India and in, in Pakistan and, and all across the Middle East and Northern Africa. Father, you know where the needs are. We pray for revival. We pray for strength for the believers. We pray for protection as it is your will. And for those who are called to suffering, we pray for perseverance and endurance for them. So, Father, help us to always give and pray and be willing to sacrifice with those in mind that you've called to standing for you in hostile environments. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, today we continue our series on fulfilling our purpose uh, as, as we are looking at, at the different parts of what it means to be a part of Life Fellowship. The first week, Pastor Ben spoke on living in community, 
And the idea that we need to be connected as part of the body of Christ, that we need to know and care and lift up and reinforce with each other. And then last week, we talked about investing in growth. What does that mean? It means learning, studying the Word of God, being discipled, preparing yourself, using the spiritual gifts that you have, and educating yourself on how those can be used. And today we're at letter F, which is fulfilling our purpose. Now, as we get into this, if you've been a part of Life Fellowship, for a long time, you may say, whoa, 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 wait. Now, for years, when we said uh, living in a community, investing in growth, it was finding my purpose. And yet you're saying fulfilling our purpose. Well, that's one of the changes that has come from the elders as we have been reexamining what we want to do. And as Pastor Ben at the, in, in uh, 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 early October explained, we're, we're kind of changing what our vision of, of, of what we should be doing is that every man, woman, and child in Lake Norman and beyond should have the opportunity to hear and respond to. Respond may not be accepting Christ. It may be rejecting Christ. But if they don't hear, they can't respond. So then when I, we want them to hear to hear it and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's a job that's that's our job. It's a job that no one person can do, no one family can do, no one church can do. But rather the body of Christ has been called. This is the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And when we understand these are my assignments, but they're also our assignments. And we want how we approach ministry to reflect that. So now we're talking about fulfilling our purpose. Because let's be honest, most of us know what God's gifted us in. I mean, you know, every once in a while, and this was true in the church I grew up for whatever reason, there'll be people that seem to be really oblivious about, to the, about their skill set. Uh, if you grew up in a small church, you may have seen this, but there was always two or three people in our church, and we had specials at, at church. You got to sing a special song. And, and they still do that to this day. And we don't, we don't necessarily do that here. It's a little performancy. But in our church, right, right when they took the offering, they would have somebody get up and give a special. And, and people could volunteer to do this. And, you know, we didn't have a lot of people in our church. So every once in a while, somebody would get up to sing a special. Now, if you grew up in a small church in a rural area or in the mountains or something, this is going to sound really familiar to you. And if you grew up in a big city in a mega church or whatever, this is going to make you think you've lost your mind. But they, they'd get up to sing, and, and they'd get up in, in behind, and they'd grab a microphone. That's probably the first time they ever held a microphone. And they'd grab, you didn't need a microphone. There's only 20 people in the room, but they'd still needed a microphone. All right, and they'd get up there, and then they would start with something like this. Well, y'all need to pray for me. I've been, <coughs> I've been having a little bit of cold this week. And I, I don't know why. That seemed to like be, it was, it was kind of like an excuse in advance of what we were about to have to endure. <laughs> and, and, and notice I said endure, not enjoy. All right? Um, and, then, and, and then the song would start. And, and let me just tell you, at times, it was painful. I mean, painful. And of course, because I was a teenager during most of those years, I wasn't real good at hiding painful experiences. So um, there was either giggling or laughing or sheer shock and horror uh, at, at, at what was going on. But, but as the song evolved, it was... It, it, Best word to say is it was painful. And I always, I always wondered, do you really think you can sing? I mean, do you think that's your spiritual gift going on right there? And has anyone ever told you you're amazing? Or have they just been like, 
well, God bless you when you're done, because, you know, that's kind of like bless your heart. You know, uh, you stink, but bless your heart. We appreciate you. And, and that I, I always wanted that, but let's be honest. Most of us are self-aware enough to know if there are things that energize us, that we enjoy doing, that God has blessed, that others have endorsed. Those are the things that God has created that are new, unique to you. And, and you don't really need to search for them. They're kind of obvious. Either you like to talk to people or you don't. Either you like helping people and sitting next to them and patting their hand when they're hurt, maybe make them a crack casserole or whatever, or you don't. Either you're great at, at teaching or you're not. Either you're a super singer or you're not. And, and you know that. But my question is, are we fulfilling? Are we actually fulfilling what we have found? Are we using what God has designed in us uniquely. And by the way, here's the, the operative word. It's not about us. And if you think it's about us, you need to stop. It's about our, us corporately. It ought to bless the body. Remember the passage I read last week? It says, well, every part of the body, the ligaments, the muscles, all that, join together. That's what makes up the body. And, and, and the reality is, we aren't all supposed to have the same gifts. And we don't all have... We have a general purpose, which is to glorify God in all that we say and do. We have general commands, like the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. But we approach them individually. So there is the me and the my element, but there's also the us and the our element too. And my question is today, are we as individuals who make up Life Fellowship Church fulfilling our purpose corporately too? Make sure that every man, woman, and child in Lake Norman and beyond has an opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are we doing that corporately and individually? Are we using the unique attributes to which God has called and assigned us to glorify Him and to do good to others? So that's where we're headed this morning as we look at this, this passage as we continue this series. And I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. Now, when we, when we see these verses, by the way, many of us, you know, if you grew up in church, you grew up in Sunday school, if you took Juanas, you went to a Christian school, you probably already memorized Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And I did in the King James, for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I mean, that was one of the first verses we learned. And that's essential verse because in that verse, it absolutely negates any idea whatsoever that you and I contribute to our salvation. We don't. We are saved by grace, through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. And then just in case we haven't gotten it yet, God makes sure we understand not of works. And then he explains why. Because I know you critters, God said. And he said, if you could work your way to heaven, you'd brag about it for the rest of eternity. So stop it. It never was about you. In fact, remember what the scripture says? Our works are as filthy rags before him. What kind of works is he talking about those? Works that make us think that we're deserving of our salvation. Lest we think we're all that in a cup of tea. Lest we think we're all that to God, that how somehow he owes us eternal life. God put it in black and white, double underlined it, and said, make sure you know this. You are saved by grace, through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift, not of works. And don't you dare try bragging about it. Those verses are very familiar. But if you look on into the next verse, that's a continuation of the thought. So one of the great ways of learning is not only to hear, but to participate and to do. I want us to go back 
and I want us to read aloud all three of these verses, all right? Because this is a great way to reinforce this, but I want you to connect verse 9 to verse 10, because our salvation is not a one and done. Our salvation is a beginning. It's a foundation. It's the starting gate of life, real life, abundant life, eternal life, and a life that matters. So will you read it with me together, beginning Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, so much confusion in life is caused by a lack of purpose. Several years ago, back in the 90s, a pastor out in Southern California by the name of Rick Warren wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. It was one of the best-selling books of all time. And millions and millions of people have purchased that book. And it's not a bad book, by the way. It's, it's got a book with a good spiritual message. I've known people who came to follow Christ because they read that book. And if you never read it, I, I would say go ahead and read it. I, uh, like any other author, there are things I disagree and agree with. But I think on the, on the whole, it's a good book. And, and by the way, because it was so popular in those days, you can go to the Goodwill or any used bookstore and buy about 20 copies for a buck a piece because they're, they're everywhere. And uh, I think I had about six of them on my bookshelf until recently. <coughs> but But... People want purpose. And that's one of the reasons why that book was so popular, so successful. And, uh, this, uh, this afternoon, as soon as I get done preaching here, I'm uh, heading home, grabbing my suitcase and heading to the airport. And I'm going to be flying to, uh, to Colorado where I'll rent a car and I'll drive way up in the mountains to a place called Frazier, Colorado. There, there is a group of young adults uh, who are between 18 and 20, 21 years of age. Uh, one of them is from this church. Noah Barker is there. And it's, it's, a, it's a gap year school. It's a part of, of a, a group of camps around the world. Uh, that, uh, that they, they bring kids from all over the world. I have kids from Germany and, and uh, um, Canada and the United States all over the part. But they, they get together for, for one, well, actually not even a year, it's about nine months, and they study the Word of God. And they transition from high school living in mom's house toward their next step, which is, you know, it could be military, it could be career, it could be college, it could be getting married, all different kinds of things, but it's kind of a stepping stone. And this is my third or fourth, I think my fourth year of going. And the guy who leads this camp is Sam Hatfield. Sam, Sam's parents are you know, a faithful part of this church. And, and uh, Sam's dad was one of our founding elders. And uh, Sam was actually an intern here back when, right when I first came here. He was my first intern at, at Life Fellowship, in fact. And he's worked out there now for, I think, about 10 years. But what we're going to be doing is I have 11 hours of lectures and I have three additional sessions and a two-hour Q&A, and it's on this deal right here. What are, why are we here? <laughs> what are we supposed to be doing? And where do we go when we die? I'm actually teaching on what's called worldview, but it's about the metaphysical questions. How am I here? How did I get here at all? Who am I? What am I supposed to be doing? How can I know anything at all? What happens after we die? These are the great questions that keep thinking people awake at night. 
These are the questions that we are in search of answers for as a race. And these answers are found best in the Word of God. And when we have a biblical worldview, the answers become apparent. They become obvious. You are not here because of some odd fluke of coincidence. You're not here because billions and billions of years ago, there was a bang and things cooled down and spread out and formed pools and planets and a bolt of lightning hit some giant puddle of primordial ooze and created some electrical response that made something burst into life and swim around for a few billion years before it eventually crawled out onto the shore, developed eyes, could begin hearing, developed limbs, and over a process of a few hundred million years, climbed up in trees, and somebody started Harvard. <laughs> you know, and it's always amazing when people say, well, you know, I just don't have enough faith to believe that book. Well, dude, you got faith, let me tell you. If you can study for one second the eye or the cell or how we hear or how we know anything at all and draw any conclusion other than the fact that we are intricately, intimately, specifically designed, I don't see how you can come to that conclusion. There is no mathematical possible, there has to be technically because it's math, but the, the, the notion that enough coincidences could occur for you and I to be where we're at today is preposterous and requires us to suspend logic. When you see design, you say there has to be a designer. And the fact that you and I have will and skill and all these other things screams out when you have potential you must have a purpose. Why are we here? Where are we going? Where did we come from? And that is at the heart of fulfilling our purpose. Because the Word of God gives us the answer. The Word of God shares with us the plan. The Word of God tells us the beginning and the Word of God reveals to us the end. And so as we look at this passage, we need to listen intently. And, and by the way, and, and I see a lot of our teens. And by the way, teens, man, I heard y'all had an awesome weekend last weekend. A uh, hundred plus of you are out, out uh, for, for uh, uh, wildlife. And uh, I've, I've heard from some of you. I've heard from some of the adults that were there. And I just want to say I am so proud of you guys. I am so thrilled with what God is doing in, in student life. I'm so proud of what God's doing in some of your lives. Some of you have told me things that you're doing. Some of you told me about decisions that you made. You, some of you stopped by my office, and some I saw you out in the hall and out front here. And I just want to say to you young people, man, I am so jazzed about where you're at right now. I am so encouraged. I'm so proud of you. And I believe God is starting to do something in the lives of the young generation that makes up Life Fellowship that's going to not only rock Lake Norman, but is going to help us do this. 
because I'm seeing them bring their friends and I'm seeing them share their testimonies and I'm watching them pray with each other that God would use them. Why? I want you to understand something. If you are 12 or 13 or 14, or if you are 60 or 65 or 70, if you're still here and upright and have breath in your lungs, you have an opportunity to fulfill the purpose for which God designed you. God has something for you to do. God has something for you to accomplish. And all of those things, when done, under His name, bring glory to Him. And that's what he wants. And that's what he desires. So young people, I want you to ask yourself the question, why did God put me in my home? Why did God give me the mom and dad that I did? Why did God allow me to come to Life Fellowship to have a youth pastor like Trey and have pastors like Ben and Dan and Trey and Jason? Why is it that God has put me in the United States of America? Why did God make me into a Christian home? Why did God have me hear the gospel? And whether you're 13 or whether you're 103, I want you to understand because you matter to Him. You are not an accident. You have been designed in a wonderful way and you have purpose. There are many today who are spending too many hours listening to the wrong message who say life is empty, life is broken, this is not really real, I have no hope, I don't fit in. And that is the philosophy of nihilism. And nihilism says you're a fluke, you're not here, there is no good, there is no right. There is no forever. Nothing is really real. And if you buy into the philosophy of, may I say it out loud, Kurt Cobain and Nirvana and many in the art world where nothing is good and nothing is real and where all are broken and life is hopeless, you will eventually reach a point of despair as he did. But I want you to understand something. Life is real and life is powerful and life is meaningful and you are here on purpose and God has a plan for your life and you may not be the biggest and you may not be the smartest and you may not be the fastest and you may not be the tallest and you may not be able to sing, but you do have something that God says, I value that. Find it and use it for his glory and your good and you will fulfill your design. I grew up in the sticks of Missouri on a farm and manure on my boots whenever I went to the college the first time. I wasn't tall, and I certainly wasn't good-looking. I weighed 117 pounds, soaking wet and full of bananas. I mean, I was skinny. I stood in front of the light, and you could read a book through me. I wasn't smart, and I couldn't sing. I didn't know for sure what God would have me to do, but bit by bit, one of the things he said is, Dan, I noticed you kind of like to talk. And you kind of like to talk about me. And today I stand before you at 62 years of age and I'm still not good looking and I still can't sing and I'm still not the smartest person in this room. And yeah, I did manage to overcome the skinny thing quite well. Thank you very much. But I've been around the world multiple times. I've spent the night in villages I've had people searching for me because they knew we were there to preach as I hid in houses. I preached under banyan trees and on the banks of rivers. I preached to 10,000 people in India one time and told them about Jesus. 
I was helicoptering into villages in Albania on the mountaintops where they hadn't heard the name of Jesus in a generation over 40 years. I've prayed with people on their knees in the mud. I've baptized people in, in the Ganges River. And you know why? Because God said, you know, there's some stupid, skinny little country boy from Missouri that is just going to trust me enough to fulfill the purpose that I designed him for. And I ain't special, folks, but you are. And God has something he wants you to do. He has something that he wants you to do that you can't even dream how fantastic it is. He has something that he, since before you were born, orchestrated to be accomplished in you and through you. Don't you believe Satan's lies that life has no meaning? Don't you believe the person who says, you're too ugly, you're too dumb, you're too skinny, you don't have what it takes. Just because you don't have 100,000 followers doesn't mean that you aren't important to the one that will follow you to the Savior someday. That's your purpose. Don't buy into the world's definition of what meaning and significance is. Meaning and significance is meeting the design for which you were created. And we have a huge variety of that in this room. Altogether, we can work to make sure that every man, woman, and child in Lake Norman and beyond can hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's go through this passage real quickly. And I want you to just look at some things that I think are super important. The first area we want to look at is the intent of our designer. Number one, your salvation is a result of God's grace, not your works. I already hit this a little bit, but I just want to hit it one more time. Our salvation is not the product of any effort that you or I bring to it. You don't bring any skills, and you are not, you're not taking anything to this process that God lacks. When Jesus said, it is finished, it meant I paid for it all. I don't need your participation. I don't need your work. I don't need your investment. I don't need you to be baptized. I don't need you to write a check. I don't need you to need, need, commit more good deeds than bad deeds. I don't need you to go into full-time vocational service. I don't need you to be kind to your neighbor. What I need for you to do is trust me and me alone because I took all your filthy, rotten sins on me and I paid them in full. Now, will you believe? That's what it takes. We are 100% totally from top to bottom, inside out, now and forever, reliant upon God's grace, which is activated through the Holy Spirit when we place our faith in Him. Now that's good news. That's good news. Because when you get to that point where you say, I can't do it, but God has. When you get to that point when you say, I want nothing more than to know God. When you get to that point where you say, I surrender all, like we sang in our last song. When you get to that point, supernaturally, the Holy Spirit gives you eternal life. Not of works. So don't you dare brag. Here's the second thing. Your, your life is a gift from God that's activated by salvation. Your life is a gift from God activated by salvation. There are two kinds of people in this room. Those who will live forever and those who are dead men walking. 
Two types of people sitting right here in this room. Those of you who will live forever. You will never die. Or your body will finally slough off like a layer of old dead skin, but you're not going to die. You're going to be absent from the body, present with the Lord. You're going to be in the presence of God Himself, the Creator, the great designer. You'll be there. But the other person is the person who's, you've never known life. You were born dying. You were born under the curse. You were born pre-sentenced. And you await activation. And activation occurs at that moment when God supernaturally changed you from a dead man walking to he who lives forever. The Bible says we were dead in our sin and our trespasses, but God. And that was God's plan. That's God's plan for you. And here's the good thing. I don't care where you're at. I don't care how broken you think you are. I don't care what your past looks like. I don't care how hopeless you are in this moment, how deeply you're addicted, or how dark your world seems. At the moment of salvation, God brings into clarity what He designed you to do, which was live. And, and this church was founded on this verse. Not live any old way, but that you can live life fully, abundantly, real. God wants you to enjoy the best of His grand design. So your life is a gift from God. He put it in black and white. Third thing, our life was purposely designed to glorify God through our works. I want you to go back and I want you to look at Ephesians. I want you to look at verse 10. Look what it says. For we are His workmanship. Handiwork. Design completion. Created in Christ Jesus for what? So we can live 70 years and then die and nobody remembered? Oh no, that's not what he said. So that we could just live any way we wanted to. Just kind of like coast through life, have a few experiences, then die like a dog, somebody pats us in the face with a spade, and it was as if we never were. Is that why he designed? Oh no, no. Did he design you so that you could be the richest person in the world, the most powerful person in the world, the most famous person in the world, the greatest influencer in the world? No, that's not what he did. What did he do? Well, let's look at it in black and white very clearly. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. And in case we, we, we missed the part that there was design behind it and intention behind it, look what he says, which God prepared beforehand... So even before you were put together in your mother's womb, God had a plan for you. He had a design for you. He had a purpose and an intention for you. And in case you've forgotten, because our attention spans are pretty short, here's what we're supposed to do with this design. We should walk in them. He couldn't make it any clearer, honestly. If he had tattooed it on our forehead, he could not have made it any clearer. I love you. I'm redeeming you. I designed you, I created you so that you would do good things with your life that glorify me and live forever. And that's what God has for us. It ought to give us hope. Workmanship, there, that word, is a really cool word. Because in the Greek, it is the word poema. Poema. And that word sounds a little familiar. Say the first half of it. 
poem, poem, poem. Poems don't just spontaneously happen, do they? This is the word that we get the word poem from. Poems are creative consequences to a process that involves thinking and doing, thinking and doing. You got to think it, you got to write it down. And not only that, it's very creative, it's very unique. No two poems are alike, right? Because if you make it exactly like it's plagiarism, and the professor will write you up for that. So don't try that, all right? Each one's unique, each one's distinct, each one's different. Each one is a reflection of the person who wrote it. And so are you. And in his workmanship, God, poema, constructed you, built you, designed you, created you in a beautiful, unique, one-of-a-kind celebration of his genius. That's what God did. It means that which is made, and it connotes an intentional creation, creative production, a purposeful outcome. Our salvation, our conversion, our justification with him is not the end. It's the beginning. And everybody that meets you, everybody that engages with you, everybody that comes into contact with you gets to see and experience and read and be blessed by the poem, the workmanship, the creative design that is your life. By the way, don't you think that if we really believed this and we saw each other in, these light, in this light, we would have a tad more respect for each other? A tad more awe for each other? Maybe some appreciation, not only for our similarities, but for our differences. We didn't come up with these good works on ourselves, on our own. Here's the fourth thing I want you to remember. We fulfill our purpose through doing the good works that were designed and assigned for us by God. Now, remember, this wasn't just a description by God, but he said, you have been, there's intent there, created for what? To do good works. When we're created with potential, the product is what God had in mind. You don't create something and then put it on the shelf. You put something and you, you create something and you put it to work. You test it out. You let it do its function. And that's why God designed us for good works. So my question is, are you fulfilling the purpose that God designed in you from before you were born? We are the result of the work of God in our hearts and in our lives. It is God who works in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. Philippians 2, 13. Our salvation evidences it, Matthew 7, 21. And by the way, how you fulfill your potential, how you use your gifts, is a testimony to the lost and gives us credibility to be heard, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. And you know, there's lots of work, kinds of works, so we don't want to miss that. You know, there's the works of the law, that's talked about in Galatians chapter 2, and the works of the law cannot save, very clear. Now, there are a lot of good people in the world, but you understand this. Their works do not produce anything because they're works of the law. 
They're works because there's a right and a wrong and, and universal truth, but they're not producing salvation and they're not producing life. There's works of the flesh. You know, we're capable of making beautiful things, singing beautiful songs, writing beautiful poems. We're capable of that because we're fleshly and that's part of God's general grace, but they don't last. They don't have eternal value because they haven't been activated by our salvation that's done by faith in, in, in Christ. There are works of darkness. We know this, that as much as we can commit good works, we can commit dark works, bad works, evil works, destructive works, things that tear apart and break and maim and war, cause war and cause tears. We know that there are some works that lead to death. Romans 6.23, for the wages, well, if you, were, if you have wages, it means you worked, right? For the wages of sin is what? Death. Oh, by the way, what is the other side? The gift of God is what? Eternal life. It's very stark. It's very real. Either you're a dead man walking or you're a redeemed man living. And there, there are works of religiosity. Titus talk, talked about this. People who seem to be doing things in the name of God that are not really because they're, they're motivated by the wrong thing. And they're, and they're given to the wrong deity, often to ourselves rather than him. But the works that Paul is referencing here have two characteristics. They are good works and they are prepared works. They're good because they glorify God. They're prepared because they were designed by God. And God calls us to perform these works which glorify Him and point others to Christ. So what do we do with this? All right, here's our agenda very carefully. First, we acknowledge that God has uniquely designed us to perform good works as His ambassador, as His ambassador. We represent God. We represent the designer. We represent the creator. We are ambassadors of his. And when you are an ambassador of Christ, everything you say and everything you do reflects on he who sent you. You're walking in the stead of. Number two, we need to identify the unique gifts and skills that he created in us that will glorify him. So ask yourself that question. What is it that God has uniquely called and designed you to do that will glorify Him and be good for others? You know, before I walked in here this morning, I just took a quick walk through the buildings. I like to do that. I like to, I like to make sure that, you know, everything's running smoothly as part of my responsibility. When I, when I came around the corner this morning off of uh, whatever it is, Peninsula, that goes in the Peninsula, I can't remember the name of that road, but it's going to uh, Chaton. So I come around, I look for the signs. But I, I want you to understand, those signs do not miraculously appear every Sunday morning. There's a couple of guys in this church, and they take turns, but they put the signs in the back of a truck. They get them out of storage. They take them over there. They pull the truck over. They lower the bed. They pull them out. When it's rainy, when it's cold, when it's hot and sunny, and they're sweaty, and they're all dressed for church, they do it every single week so that people can find our campus because we're a little bit off the beaten path. And when I saw those signs, I just said, thank you, Lord, for the person who got up this morning. I don't even know who it was today who got the signs out because without the signs, people can't find out where they're supposed to go. I walk in here and there's people standing at the door. I see Mike Dysart. Mike's one of the most faithful servants in this church. He's there every single week and he's serving the Lord and where God has called him. And he was checking the doors to make sure all of them were unlocked because it's irritating to come up to a door and it's locked. It says, we're not ready for you. So he made sure that every door was unlocked. When I got in here, I realized this. There, somebody had, had gone down to the Bojangles and bought biscuits for everybody so that we can have something to eat, uh, the, the people that have been here since 5.30, 6 o'clock this morning. And then I walked by the, uh, I, I walked by the instrumentalists who were still turning, turning that. I had somebody put a mic pack on me. Somebody walked me out here. They brought this out. They did this. They tested my mic. We went through the slides. All of this is going on. Why? Because somebody was fulfilling their purpose. 
And then I walk back out and I, I go over to, to the kid life this morning and I, and I see Seth Farger. He's in there. He's working with the, the kid life. And I see Gloria. She's working with little kids. And I see Dr. Drew Pauly, one of the finest educators in this country. Uh, this country. He's, he, he's a professor at the University of North Carolina in charge of the math department. If you're a math educator with a, with a, with a degree from the University of North Carolina, you probably had to go through his courses. And you know what he's doing? Teaching fourth grade boys. Bunch of little snotty kids. And he loves them. He's doing great. And I walked by Alan Morgan, and Alan Morgan was dropping his kids off. And you know what Alan does? Alan walks, he works with our Financial Peace University, and he's teaching people how to handle their finances. During the week, he's a financial uh, investor, whatever, but I don't have any money, so I don't know how to, you know, guys do it. But, you know, he helps people make money on their money. And he's really good at it. And so what does he do on Sundays? He comes here, and he teaches people how to be good stewards of their money, which involves giving to missions and giving to God's work and preparing for retirement and how you're going to take care of your kids. And he does this from a biblical perspective. But you know what he's doing? Really, what he's doing? Fulfilling his purpose. Fulfilling what God designed him to do. And, 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 and you know, the, 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 on, on uh, Friday, I went down and I voted. And I'm in Huntersville. I'm, I'm, I'm not in, in Cornelius, but in, in Huntersville, uh, I, I, I wanted, because, you know, there are people that are believers that are running for office. Mike Osborne, who is a, a, a commissioner in Cornelius, goes to this church. He's running for re-election here. And, you know, there are some people and God bless them because this isn't me. All I got to do is look at some of my old Facebook posts and man, I couldn't get elected to be dog catcher. But, but these, these folks were smart, <laughs> all right? And they're running for their office. Why? Because their purpose is to bring bright values and wisdom and biblical aspects to public service. Thank God for them. God doesn't create all of us to do the same things. But, you know, we got a businessman who's on the board of a huge missions organization here in this church. Uh, we, we got several young couples, the, the Campbells and the Bennetts, they work with Porteros and so forth. They bring in kids to, to live in their house for anywhere from overnight to months at a time because their parents are in distress. We've got people who are leading life groups. I think of the Sefferins who are leading the young couple's life group. And it's such a great life group. And many of them used to be in my old life group. And I see them and I'm so proud of them. And, and he and Jen, they do such a great job with them. But you know what I really like to see? I like to see how many of the guys that are in their life group, who are now five or six years removed from when they were in my life group, are now working in kid life and working in student life. And they're volunteering. What are they doing? They're fulfilling their purpose. And God has created in each of us a unique set of skills and gifts that when we do them, will glorify Him. Have you identified yours? When you do, you'll develop them with intentionality. And you'll use these gifts and skills on purpose. Not to make money. Not to become famous. Not so people will notice you. But so that God will be glorified. Because in His workmanship, He's given you something that only you can do in the way that you can do it for the people he has called you to do it. So the fourth thing I say is prioritize the use of these gifts with the Lord in mind. Prioritize them. Prioritize them. Make them important. Can I rant just a little bit and then I'll be done? <laughs> we need to move away from the mentality that says, I'll only do what costs me nothing or very little. I'll only do the things that are convenient. I'll only do the things that don't require me to rearrange my life or my schedule or my finances. 
Maybe it's time for a more genuine faith that is born from a realization that God has a design for us and it cost Him. It cost Him His Son. And when we come under the truth of that, it will create a radical faith. Not a crazy faith, but a radical faith. A wheels-off faith. I'm, I'm willing to give up things for it faith. I'm willing to be laughed at or mocked or overlooked or misunderstood. I'm willing to be looked at strangely, thought odd, to have people say things about me because my Jesus and my values and the Word of God and the life that He gave me means more than the approval of men and women. It means more than being successful as the world counts success or popular as the world thinks of popularity. It's a sad day when people who are following a false God or no God are more willing to live their lives devoted to actions and words and causes and sacrifices and inconveniences that matter to them but do not matter to God, that matter maybe a moment today but do not matter forever. And yet they show more enthusiasm for using their gifts in a way that is what the Bible says, wood, hay, and stubble, than those of us who are the redeemed of God called for a purpose, designed with intention and with a holy mission to change the world. And while people in the Middle East are willing to blow themselves up for a God that does not exist, we can't roll out of bed and help somebody else in the name of Jesus. Something's wrong with that while they will empty their wallets and quit their jobs and move to places for these weird ritualistic agendas of theirs, we won't give a dirty dollar to missions. Tithing is fanatical. Helping out somebody whose tires are bald is the job of the government. And we do not know what it means to live for others, to invest in that which will matter in a hundred years. Now I realize I'm talking to the choir a little bit this morning, but I had to get it out. But maybe that ought to be our message to others as well. Let's quit being silent to Satan's agenda. Let's stand up to the DEI guy and say, you know what? Don't believe that, and you're not going to cram it down my throat. Let's be salt. Let's be light. Let's vote and talk and walk and give and share and explain and invite people over for dinner and help and assist and cry and give out of our need and give out of our want and get out of our bed and do something great for God. Let's make sure that every man, woman, and child in Lake Norman and beyond has an opportunity to hear and respond to the only thing that's going to matter in a hundred years. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's do it. And when we do that, we glorify God in humility and specificity. We're not interested in being the biggest church in Lake Norman. It may be happen someday, I don't know, but that's not what we're about. We're not, we, I, don't, I don't want my name in the paper. In fact, I really don't want my name in the paper. I teach college. I teach doctoral students. I'm just telling you, not impressed with your doctorates, just not. Nope. I've known some pretty wealthy people in my day. And if you've got money, great. I love you. 
Got a couple projects I want to talk to you about in mission fields, but love you. But if you're poor, I love you too. And you know what I really love? I love the fact that we, even the poorest person in this room, is richer than 90% of the people I come into contact with around the world. And I love the fact that we can go help them, that we can buy them discipleship books and repair their broken trucks so they can go into missions. We can buy them bags of rice and bags of beans. I like that. So let me ask you this question, and then I'm done. Do you think we as a church are really fulfilling our purpose? Do you think you, redeemed, saved, God loved you so much, He would have died for just you? Are you living your purpose? What are you doing that glorifies God? What are you doing that points others to Him? You don't have to be a preacher. In fact, if you can do anything else but be a preacher, be it, okay? You don't have, you don't have to be a musician. But you ought to be something. You ought to be something. Hand somebody a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. Get involved in kid life. Go to a mission field. Invite your neighbor over for coffee. Get your checkbook out and make it matter. Pray with someone. Go up to a hospital. Walk in a room and say, how can I pray for you? Ask the waitress. Is there anything you can pray? I can pray with you about. Go to the neighbor that you haven't seen lately and say, are you okay? But God, before you were born, designed and assigned something for you to do that will glorify him. And that is a good work that will benefit others. That's why we're here. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And my question is this. Will you take just a moment right now and say, God, what did you need me to hear this morning? What, what was it? Why am I here? God, you did roll out of bed this morning. Thank you. Praise the Lord. But you re- rolled out of bed because you were expecting to hear something from God. Now, did you identify it yet? You might say, well, Dan, you know, the thing you said this morning about... Ooh, salvation by grace through faith and works and whatever. I thought I thought I thought I, I, thought I had to do something. I thought I was supposed to be baptized. I thought I thought I did something. Now I'm not sure. That's fine. A lot of people get in that situation. I'm gonna be out in the lobby after the service. You come and tell me that, and I'll take some time and either myself or have someone show you from the Bible what it means to give yourself completely to Christ. Or go over to the prayer room. That's that glass room over on the right in the kid wing section. There'll be somebody over there. Ask them, how do I know for sure I'm going to heaven? They'll be happy to show you. Go to the guest desk. Ask them. They'll, show, they'll get somebody to sit with you. Go to a private office. Or we'll make an appointment this week. But whatever you do, don't walk around wondering because we're here to tell you. And you don't have to become a member of this church. You don't have to become a part of a denomination. You don't need to write a check. All you got to do is love God the way he loves you. Or you might say, Dan, you know, the reality is this. I have been living comfort. I try to stay in the shadows, just trying to get through this life as messy as it is. And I want you to understand, surviving this life is not what God created you to do. Thriving in this life is what God created you to do. And we thrive when we do things that glorify God. So let us help you. Make an appointment, write an email, call us. 
Let us sit down with a cup of coffee and just chat, get to know you. Let's find out what your purpose is. What does God have you here at Life Fellowship for? But before we leave, we all ought to say, Lord, here I am. I'm available. Use me in whatever way you see fit. And if we do that, we've had a good morning. Let's stand as we pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you've called us to something that matters. Thank you that you did design us intentionally with heaven and eternity and yourself and your glory in mind. So Father, help us to live it out. Help us to reach others with the good news that gives us hope today. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.